All right. Well, it's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here. You probably thought this night would never come. We're ending First Peter. This is session number 18. It's been a good study, but we will wrap it up tonight. And then also, uh, a- after we wrap it up, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about our trip to Romania. And uh, so many of you have asked about that. Show you a few slides and kind of explain what happened there. And so looking forward to a good night. Glad that you're here. Those joining us online, we welcome you wherever you are and however you're joining us. And so we're glad that you joined us as well. Don't forget a week from, actually, actually next Monday night, will be when our informational meetings start on our new building campaign. If you haven't got invitations yet, they're going out in stages. And so you'll, you'll eventually get yours if you've not received it. But uh, they're kind of going out in stages because that way we want, we want to keep each of the numbers lower so you can, you know, kind of have more interaction, ask more questions, things like that. At least have more questions answered, things like that. So we kind of keep them about 100 or so each informational meeting. And there will be, like I said, 11, uh, maybe even more than that if we need them. So that's just to let you know, if you haven't received it, you will be. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Basically, mid-February to mid-March time, we'll be having those. Well, let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, we thank you tonight for your love for us and thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. God, your, your word to us is a, is a symbol of your love. That, you've loved, that you love us enough in a relationship with you that you give us your word and send us your word. So we know that your thoughts, uh, we know how you feel on different things, and we know your commands, your encouragements, your admonitions. And so, Lord, help us to obey you as we read your word. Bless it as we study it tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, we begin tonight. And uh, wrapping up First Peter, talk a little bit about, about our uh, Romania trip. And then next Wednesday night will be our new study. Uh, We'll start looking at the book of Hosea, the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Fascinating story, fascinating book. So many parallels of God's relationship with us through Hosea's relationship with his family, his wife, and his three kids. Um, I first took Hosea in college. Didn't really know a lot about it before then, but took the course and it was fascinating. Took it again in seminary, and I think that you're really going to find it to be enjoyable. So, uh, we always do a New Testament book and an Old Testament book, and so uh, we wrapped up Zechariah, now First Peter we're wrapping up, and then next week we'll start going to Hosea and look at all 14 chapters of the Old Testament prophet. So join us next Wednesday night, love to have you for that as well. As you know, Peter is writing to Gentile believers, Northern Asia Minor, just south of the Black Sea around 63 A.D., We've talked about in our study, persecution has been subtle up to this point, but now it's um, mainly discrimination and misunderstanding about the Christian faith, things like that. But within a year, a little less than a year, about 10 months, month of October, um, 64 AD, Nero, the Roman emperor, is going to get desperate. Uh, He sets Rome ablaze. Uh, Most of the city burned to the ground, more than 50% of it. Blamed it on this new religious group called Christians, which he hated, gave him the opportunity. He always had the opportunity, but now he has kind of everybody else's blessings in in the the empire upon uh, persecuting Christianity. So Peter is trying to prepare these believers for the horror that awaits within a year that suffering and persecution is going to come their way. You might remember uh, we talked about persecution uh, in the form of beatings, imprisonment, killings, beheading believers, beheading their leaders, setting Christians ablaze, wrapping them in animal skins and fed to wild beasts as sport, 
those kind of things. So it was really going to be a horrific time right around the corner. They didn't know what was coming. It appears God gave Peter a vision because he knew it was about to get worse. And so they all through here, he's encouraging them, remember, when suffering comes, you stay faithful. And God will honor you and bless you and strengthen you in your faithfulness. Earlier in the book, he talked about what a blessed people we are as Christians. And we are. As Christians, we are blessed. And uh, so he talked about that. You are blessed. You're a holy people, a chosen generation. And just how blessed you are to be the people of God. Talked about responsibilities then, husbands and wives and pastors and and, uh, slaves and masters and things like that. And then closes, of course, with suffering and bearing up under it. So now let's look at the final conclusion. Every epistle usually has some type of conclusion. And tonight, we'll look at letter A on your outline. Peter's conclusion, verses 12 through 14. Look at verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And he closes. Now let's talk. There are several things he said there. I didn't just want to hurriedly get through these at the end of last week, so I wanted to spend a little time tonight. And why did he conclude the way he did, and what did he actually say? First of all, notice the the first line of of 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you. Who's Silvanus? Now, and what does he mean by by Silvanus? That's kind of been the debate among scholars through, through the years. Silvanus is the Roman form of the Greek name Silas. So whenever you see Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, Probably the same guy. Almost 100% it's the same guy, but his Roman form is used here. Most likely, this was Paul's companion's second missionary journey when we hear about Paul, Timothy, and Silas. So it's probably him. Literally, our translation says, by Silvanus. Literally in the Greek, it means through Silvanus to you. It's the word, the prefix, uh, or rather preposition, dia. Through uh, Silvanus. To you, the dative to you is placed very close to the preposition dia. So what does that mean? So it could either mean, through Silvanus to you, it could either mean Silas wrote the letter and Paul dictated it, so he's writing it. Or it could mean Silas is the courier. He, Paul wrote, I mean, either Peter wrote it and Silas delivered it. So it could either be Either way, it would work through Silvanus to you, the writing or the courier, the carrying of it back to them, either one. So which one was it? It is, it is quite possible, I believe, that Silas actually wrote the letter. Peter dictated it to him. Let me tell you a couple reasons why. Some say that starting in verse 12, Peter took the pen from Silas and wrote the, wrote the conclusion. That was common. It was not unusual for that to happen. In fact, many people in those days, they would, they would have the letter dictated. Somebody who was much better at writing and somebody who was much more articulate at writing would take what they said and they would write it 
And then during the conclusion, the, the one who dictated it would, would write the conclusion in his own handwriting. Actually, that's common in Scripture. Galatians 6, 11, Paul said, I, I'm writing to you with my handwriting. 2 Thessalonians, as it closed, 3.17 says the same thing. So people have wondered, did he, did he actually write it or did he just conclude it? It was a common practice for authors that bore the name, the, the book letter would bear their name, but someone else who was a better writer would write it as they dictated it, and then they would actually write the conclusion by saying, this conclusion in my handwriting uh, authenticates everything in here, I said it. So that's very common. Um, Peter may have done that with the Gospel of Mark as well. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So you say, well, why could Peter not have written? He could have. Holy Spirit could have just given the words, and he wrote it. But the Greek style is very sophisticated. Peter's a fisherman. He wasn't trained, Manuasis, or he wasn't trained in, in languages, or he wasn't trained in writing. He's a fisherman. And the, the Greek wording is very articulate. It's very sophisticated. Kind of hard to read at times because it's so eloquent. You don't really expect that from a fisherman. Does that negate it being God's word? Absolutely not. Not in the least. Uh, and so it's very still Peter's words. So it's possible Silas actually was the writer. However, it's also possible Paul meant by this, he's the carrier of it, and I wrote it. That's possible. You say, well, why is that possible? Well, that too was very common that they would write their own letters. But if Silas had written the letter rather than carried the letter, some scholars say then that he would have had a customary salutation at the beginning of the letter. In other words, hey, this is Silas, uh, Silvanus, I'm, I'm writing it uh, from Peter to you. Because that was the custom and there's, that's not in there. So you would expect some type of mention of Silas at the beginning rather than the end, but there's no salutation at the beginning. So because of that, other scholars say, uh, he's the carrier. He didn't write it, he's the carrier. So we really don't know. And the Greek here is very unusual. The data very close to the dia, which makes it we really don't know. But here's what we do know about Silvanus. Peter regarded him as a faithful brother. We would expect that phrase. Peter is not going to be hanging out with him if he does not consider him to be a faithful brother. Nor is Paul in the book of Acts. So we don't know much about Silas, but we do know he was faithful to the faith. Isn't it good to have these kind of Christian friends? People you can go to battle with, people you know is praying for you, people you go through hard times, you know they're there. We got people like that here. Man, we got, we got some dear people here at First Baptist Church. And you are, you and as the way I regard you, what Peter said, you're faithful brothers and faithful sisters. And it's good to have those kind of people around you. Peter had that, that kind of man around him, especially when the times were tough. So as I regard him, he's a faithful brother. And then notice Peter says, I have written briefly to you. Sure doesn't feel brief to us, does it? We've been 18 weeks in this. But Peter, 
he thought it was brief. And it could have been. Maybe he had more he wanted to say. Maybe he had more he wanted to encourage them with. But in his mind, this is just briefly writing to you so God can exhort you. But notice the next phrase, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now, Peter explained his purpose for writing the letter by using two participles. Exhorting and declaring. Exhorting is encouraging you and declaring is stating a truth. There's, there's persecution going to come. You are a blessed people. You've got to withstand it. You've got to stay true to the faith and not give in. Stand firm in it, he says. So he exhorts them and he um, encourages them. Evidently, one of Peter's spiritual gifts was encouragement. Because in both of his epistles, his letters, you see a lot of encouragement. And so evidently, that was one of Peter's spiritual gifts. What did he mean whenever he said the true grace of God? That's an odd phrase. It's not used anywhere else. Why, what does he mean by, by declaring to you the true grace of God? It appears he's saying that whenever you start going through persecution, God gives you extra grace. Because Paul kind of hinted at the same thing, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. If you remember, Paul's talking about his thorn in the flesh. And he concluded by God telling him, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and it appeared Paul hinted at the fact that because he was going through this thorn in the flesh, this difficult time, God gave him extra grace. And here it appears, Peter says the same thing. Whenever you start going through difficult times, God gives you extra grace. And maybe you need that tonight. Maybe you're going through a more difficult time, maybe health-wise or with your family or spiritually or financially. Maybe you're going through a more difficult time tonight. God will give you extra grace. God will give you everything you need. He will supply everything that you need in your lowest moments as well as your good moments. God is going to do that. Someone said one time, God's grace supports us and God's glory awaits us. And that's a good way to put it. Stand firm in it. Then verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Okay, time out for a second. Who is she? And why didn't he call her name? Is he being sexist? Call the men's name and not the women's name. Who is she? What's she doing in Babylon? And why would she send them greetings? Who on earth is he talking about? Well, it's feminine is used. That's why we know it's she. But Peter doesn't give her name. Most Bible scholars believe this refers to the church. Because, one of the reasons because, the word for church in the New Testament, ecclesia, is feminine. And another reason, there are other places in the New Testament where the church is referred to as she, the bride of Christ, and it's referred to as Babylon in Revelation. So it's 
most agree that it's probably referring to the church. Some commentators believe Peter's referring to his wife. Oh, she sends you greetings, doesn't identify her. Sounds like her husband, doesn't it? Doesn't identify her, says she. But no other gospel or New Testament writers refer to their wives in their letters. It'd be kind of odd. So it's probably not his wife, but we know he was married. Remember, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So most likely it's the church. Now, where was Babylon? Is this Babylon literal or symbolic? Well, there were two locations called Babylon in those days. One, the one we know, Babylon on the Euphrates River, that was this great city. Some Bible scholars, very respected, like R.C.H. Linsky, the old Lutheran, said, no, by now, Babylon's no longer there, so it can't be the literal Babylon. Other Bible scholars say, no, it wasn't what it was, but it's still there. Still a semblance of it. So it could have been the real Babylon. There was a second little bitty town called Babylon in Egypt. This time, it was a Roman military outpost near Cairo. But probably, Peter was referring to Rome as Babylon, the church there in Rome. Because we do know that Rome was called Babylon. It was symbolic for the pagan world. In Revelation and other places, the Christians had come to think of Rome as Babylon. By now, Rome was in decline, but at one time, it was the world center of godlessness. And several times in the Bible, Babylon is symbolic of spiritual rebellion and worldly godlessness. Does it mean it's actually the Babylon? Well, it was kind of a code word to mean all godlessness. Let me give you an example. We say Hollywood. We know what we mean. It's the film industry. It's all, it may not actually be in Hollywood. It may be filled somewhere else. But you say, oh, that's Hollywood. Well, we know what it's talking about. They did the same with Babylon. Oh, that's Babylon. That's worldliness. That's godlessness. And so it could have been he's saying the church who is in Rome is sending you greetings. And so that's kind of the most common theory as to what he meant there. But then he mentions a third person, Mark. So does Mark, into verse 13, my son. Did Peter have a son named Mark? Not that we know of. He's talking probably about a spiritual son. Who's Mark? Probably the same John Mark in the book of Acts. You remember the book of Acts, missionary journey number one, Paul Barnabas and Barnabas' nephew, John Mark. All went on the first missionary journey. They ended the first missionary journey. And all the Bible tells us is John Mark went back home while Barnabas and Paul went on. We don't know why he went back home. A lot of kind of theories out there. Pete, uh, Paul, rather, gave up on him. He's a quitter. I want him on the next journey. And Barnabas believed in him. And Paul said later, I was wrong. Because he's not a quitter. He and Barnabas went another direction and they did great. And then John Mark was probably the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Now, a lot of people have wondered, we have Matthew has a Gospel, John has a Gospel, Luke has a Gospel. Why would the closest disciple to Jesus not have a Gospel? Well, he might, Mark, because Peter and Mark were close, father-son, kind of like that, a spiritual father and a spiritual son. He was, Mark was Paul's, uh, Peter's protege. Most people believe he led Mark to the Lord. So, 
A lot of theologians believe that the gospel of Mark was Peter dictating to his young protege, who could write better than he could, the gospel. Because as you look at it, it looks like Peter's account of Jesus' life. The gospel of Mark does. So, a lot of people say Mark was influenced by Peter telling him the stories. Because Mark would have been a very young man during Jesus growing up. Would he have remembered all those things? Another thing, Mark 14.51, or rather 15, Mark, Mark, sorry, Mark 14.52 is an odd verse in the middle of nowhere. We're told that whenever Jesus was arrested, that in, in Mark 14.52, there was a young man hiding in the bushes watching all of this. And the authorities saw him, so they went over to grab him. And he ran away and they pulled his, they, all they grabbed is they grabbed, they grabbed his cloak and he's stripped down naked and he runs away naked. That's all it says. And you're going, that's not recorded in any other gospel. Who on earth is that? That's all it says. Doesn't give a comment on it. It just then goes right on. So a lot of scholars believe that was Mark. He was the young man. It was his way of putting himself in the story. I think I was there. P.S. I was there. So it's very possible. And so that Peter could have dictated Mark, or not necessarily dictated, but told him the story, which he could have done to Sylvanus here. So we don't know, but he, we do know that Mark and, and uh, Peter had a close relationship. And so he tells them, Mark sends you greetings as well. Now look at verse 14. We'll close. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, in biblical culture, a kiss was very, a very common way to express public affection or greetings. Usually you kissed on the cheek or on the hand or on the forehead. Those are the three places you would kiss in, in biblical culture. It would be like our handshake. Kissing the, uh, greet each other with a kiss Paul told the Romans that at the end of Romans. He told the Corinthians that at the end of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He told the Thessalonians that in the end of the book of 1st Thessalonians. And now Peter tells them that at the end of the letter. Greet one another with a kiss of love. The Greek word here is philemi, a philema rather, uh, like the word phileo, brotherly love. So it's not a passionate kiss or any kind of erotic kiss. It's just a, a kiss of love of peace. Still done in many parts of the world today. Remember earlier, I talked about how the, how the early Christians were misunderstood by culture, and one of the things that they were misunderstood about was they were accused the believers of having these wild sexual orgies in church because of love feast, and they would kiss each other with a kiss of love and things like that. So these letters are kind of why some of them had misunderstandings about when Peter says something like this. But my question is this. If it was the custom anyway, why tell them to do it? If it's the custom anyway, I mean, that'd be like somebody saying, now be sure and shake hands, Sunday. You're going to do it anyway. So why tell them? So why would he put a verse in here, greet one another with the kiss of love? Most Bible scholars believe he added it because it was his way of saying, give them a kiss for me. It's by proxy. As you greet one another, kiss of love, do one for me. Because he was 
affectionate and, and attached to them as believers. And then the last statement, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace expresses the most common Jewish blessing, shalom. It literally means go well with you. May go well with you. Shalom. So you can say it in the morning, say it in the evening, say it in the day. Shalom means peace, the most basic Jewish blessing. But this is not just a normal ending to a letter. It meant a little something different this time. Paul would end his letters by peace to you, grace and peace to you. And that was kind of like his website, see y'all. But here it took on a little different meaning because they are about to be hit with a hurricane of persecution, severe persecution. And Peter was praying in the midst of what you're about to go through, may God give you peace. So the epistle opens with peace, chapter 1, verse 2, and it closes the prayer for peace. What a wonderful way to end a letter that announces the coming of fiery trials and fiery persecutions. You hang on, it's coming. But may the peace of God, shalom, be with you in the midst of it. And that's all I know about 1 Peter. So we will stop there. Well, I want to share secondly, number letter B on your outline there, a ministry that we had to Romanian pastors and youth that we went on. And just let me share a little bit about the time that we have left about our trip and what happened and what God did. Uh, Lisa and Camden and I uh, left January 6th and went to Romania, stayed till Jan- January 15th. So it was nine days. Um, we appreciate so much your praying for us while we were gone. We've had a long-term partnership with Romania. Uh, the Romanian, Romanians have come here. Their leaders have come here. We've helped train them. We've sent teams there, eyeglass teams and bread teams to build bread. Very poor area. And so it's in the northern part of Romania and Shigaswara. And so our job there was uh, the pastor of the church we work with, Sabine Baruga. He's been here many times and spoken to you many times. Uh, he is an amazing leader, very well respected, not just in Shigasor, but all of Romania. In fact, we're, we're at the airport getting our passport stamped and asking us all these kind of questions about what we're doing there. And I said, well, we're staying with Sabine Baruga. And I thought, oh, here you go. That's all it took. Everybody knows Sabine, very well respected. He is also the president for the next three years of the Northern Romanian Pastors Conference. It's a little different than our pastors' conference. Our pastors' conferences are kind of, you know, voluntary. There, the pastors' conferences really kind of oversee the pastors. They, they regulate their salaries, their benefits. Everything kind of goes through the pastors' conference there. So he's the president of the Northern Romanian Pastors Conference, and that's significant because most of Christianity is in the north, not in the south. Almost all the churches are in the north. Budapest in the south, uh, not Buda, uh, Bucharest in the south, has, has churches and believers and seminary, but most believers are in the north. And so as the president of the Northern pa- Romanian Pastors Conference, there are many, many churches that he's over, many pastors that he's over, so he wanted me to come meet with a lot of the pastors, encourage them, because a lot of them are very discouraged. Preach in the churches at night, meet with pastors, encourage them. And then on Saturday, there would be a large pastor's conference that he wanted me to speak at. It would be about 100 pastors there, meet with them, pray with them, encourage them, let them have question and answer time. Me as a pastor, how do I deal with things? And some of the things they deal with there are unique to them, not us, but some of them are very similar to what pastoring a church in, in America. 
So it was a very busy schedule, a lot of traveling, a lot of late nights. Shigasora was our home base, city of about, about 15,000 or so. That was our home base. That's where the home church is that we have a partnership with. A lot of late nights, coming in late. Uh, and over the course of seven days, between Camden and I, my son, we preached 13 times, 13 times in seven days in seven cities. And so it's a busy schedule. It's a lot of preaching uh, and a lot of speaking. And so we arrived on Saturday night, uh, preached, got there Saturday night, really tired, preached Sunday morning. Uh, I preached in the home church there in Shigaswara, uh, and, and Camden in a translator then went out to a, a gypsy village uh, started by the home church called Loslia. And so they're not far away, 15, 10, 15 minutes. And so he preached there on Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, we came back together, and then we traveled to another town called Tarnavina, which is a little larger, probably maybe 20, 25,000 population, a little bit larger church. Camden, in the service, had a 10-minute teaching time with the, the congregation, and then I, had, I preached the sermon. They, they have two-hour worship services there. Uh, they sing a lot. They have a, like a, a minister will get up and do basically a sermon. What we know is a sermon. They call it like a devotion, but it'd go anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And so Camden would do that there in uh, Tarnavina. And then I did the, uh, the preaching, which go a little bit longer, 45 minutes or so. I think I need to start that here, don't you think? So no, just teasing. So we did that and then come back. Monday, the next day, we had, we had off. And so it's our only day off. So been traveling anyway and preaching a lot and, and the, the, on Sunday. And so we took a two-hour drive to Braun Castle. I know some of you have been there, the most uh, famous uh, uh, tourist attraction in Romania. And bitterly cold. Now, that felt like Siberia right there. So it was a high elevation. They have snow skiing there and everything. But it was very beautiful. Had a great time. So it's kind of the day. Took two hours up and two hours back. And then rested the rest of the day. Tuesday, started off again. And we went, we fed lunch with the children. Tuesday and Wednesday, we would go to villages that fed children lunch for when the uh, school lunch because there are no, schools don't have food. Not very many people have food. And so the church is primarily the place you go to get food. So we'd go there, see the kids, eat with them uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday both. And as they fed them lunch, fed them soup, basically soup and bread. And then that night, on Tuesday night and Wednesday night, we would go to the gypsy villages. Camden would do the teaching time, and I would do the preaching. And we went to, uh, to gypsy villages, one in Donish and one in Las Lea. Tuesday night, to me, was, really, was one of the ones that really impacted me. Smaller church in a, in a gypsy village, but their hunger to hear the Word of God was amazing. I got up to preach that night. It's 25 degrees outside. It, was, it snowed, snow on the ground. It wasn't snowing at the time. It was cold. Uh, wind chills below 25 and we got everybody we could in the church. They were standing. They were every place there was a place to stand. They were standing. They were standing behind me on the platform. They were everywhere standing. And those that couldn't get in stayed outside the windows and listened in the cold weather. But the hunger to hear God's word is not what we have in America, for sure. Uh, and and that, was, that was impactful to see that kind of people wanting to, to hear God's word. Wednesday night, we did the same thing. Another village, Cannon taught, and, and I preached the sermon. And then on Thursday, we went and visited probably the poorest village uh, called Arquita. Arquita was the place the Roman uh, government sends you if, if they give up on you. So there was a little village out there. Maybe you have a mental issue or physical issue or whatever, but you just, they just give up on you. They send you to Arquita. And so the church in Sugar Store started a mission out there. And so uh, we visited out there, had lunch with them. They made us some bread in the, in the, in the uh, 
bread oven, prayed with the pastor, uh, visited the village a little bit, then saw a new village um, where the church has started a mission. And in this mission, it's very, uh, there's a lot of corruption in that village, a lot of prostitution, a lot of drugs. You don't see a lot of drugs in a lot of the communities, but you do there. Started a new work there, so I prayed with the pastor there and heard about his, his ministry just getting started and prayed and encouraged him. And then that night, we drove to Sibiu, which is the largest city. That's where we flew into. The largest church, more advanced, university students, very well-dressed. Um, and so it's, it was a church that had, uh, had, had more means because it was in the city, more, more jobs. So I preached there, the largest church I preached, uh, and I preached there on Thursday night. Then on Friday, uh, we stayed, uh, saw some of the homework there in Shigasora. They're building plans the home church is looking to build. And then that night I preached in another large city, another large church called Mediash. Uh, and so we drove there. And that night when I went to Mediash, Camden stayed in Shigasora and preached at a youth conference. They had, a, you had brought the teenagers in and let him preach at them for a while. So and they had activities and games and it was a, it was a fun night on that Friday night. Saturday then pastor's conference and that was the last day we were there. Next to last day we were there, pastor's conference I preached and uh, encouraged the pastors, uh, prayed with some. They had question and answer time. Uh, and so that was really a, a good time. I talked with a lot of them afterwards as well. And, but uh, really getting to meet with them and encourage them. Encourage me, encourage my spirit to, to encourage them, pray for them. And tell them, keep going. You're doing a great work. And keep it up. And many of them come from very small places where they don't see a lot of results. But stay faithful to the words I told them. God, will, God, God is not missing anything that you're doing. He has not missed anything. He has noted everything. And so be faithful. You'll receive the crown of life. So we uh, had that, came back on Saturday. Then on Sunday, we preached that morning and then flew out that night to come back home. I preached in Shigasora, the home church again on Sunday morning. Camden went back to little Arquita, the little village that everybody gave up on. And he said that was probably one of the highlights of his, of his week, preaching there in Arquita. And then, of course, Sunday night, we started flying back and making our way home. Uh, great time for us, a great time for them, very encouraging for us and very encouraging to them, and a time to strengthen our partnership with Shigasora, with the Baruga Brothers, and it's never been stronger. They're doing, a, they're doing a great work there. We like to partner with people, just to be honest, in our partnerships, mission partnerships here at First Baptist with leaders that we know are gifted and talented and can make a great impact. And boy, those Baruga brothers, Florian and Sabine, can and do and greatly encourage us to see, see their work there. And so just to know our partnership is really strong there with, with them. It's a blessing that we can pour into them, they can pour into us, and we're making plans to go back. They've asked Camden to come back in the summer and preach at the youth camp. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're looking to see if that's going to be a possibility with our schedule. Let me show you a few slides. Got about uh, 10 minutes, and uh, we will. That is Camden preaching with his interpreter. Uh, he, interpreter's not a believer. They've been sharing with him. He's not accepted Christ yet, is kind of running from the Lord, they feel like. And so they paired him with Camden as his interpreter. So that was the very first place that they preached on that, uh, that morning. And his name's Rami. Pray for Rami that he'll come to know the Lord. So there he is translating Isaiah. <laughs> He's not even a believer, so it's, it's interesting. Next slide. That is, uh, that's Tarnavina. That's one of the churches that we went to and uh, before everybody arrived. If you'll notice, every church that you'll see, you're going to see the cameras set up. That is to video because 
the pastor said, everybody around that whole northern region is going to be watching this. They really want to see the services, want to hear the services, even if they couldn't come. As well as the secret police. The secret police are watching. They're in every church. Uh, and he said they will be watching as well. Uh, let's go to the next. By the way, I didn't change anything I said. Just, they need to be saved too. So uh, this is the Ron Castle where we went to. We are freezing there. And, uh, but it's a beautiful picture. We took it quickly and left. So the next slide there is that is me preaching at one of the uh, gypsy villages. And uh, that's the one that wasn't crowded as the, the first night. And that's Sabine, my interrupter. I mean, my interpreter over, over there. It's more like an interrupter. I'd get going good. And, yeah. So anyway, so let, let's look at the next slide. This is part of the uh, youth in, the, um, um, in one of the vill- villages. You'll see the young man in the middle there. He uh, is, uh, volunteered a year's worth of time from Japan. Uh, and they all gathered. This was his last night there that we preached. And so the, uh, the youth are gathering around him to pray for him and, and give him a, a, a send-off. And that's the colors of the balloons are the colors of the flag of where he's from. So it was a, a special partnership there. He's, by the way, a pastor's son. There we are in front of uh, the church at Laslia. And uh, standing there, it's Sabine on our far right. And pretty cold that day, too. Don't let that sunshine fool you. So go to the next slide. And there we are. I'm not certain. I can't remember which church that was. You'll see. Um, but that's one of the Sunday nights that were, or rather one of the nights that, that we're preaching. This is the village of Sibiu. That uh, is the uh, largest city and the largest place that we, that's where we flew into and out of. And that's where the pastor's conference was. They came all over to the central location. Old, old city. And a very beautiful city and very much a, uh, a tourist town as well. Kind of see the Romanian architecture there. That is the city and uh, the place in Sibiu where um, I preached the pastor's conference. And that is the Saturday gathering. Uh, most of them are all sitting back here. Uh, they had a, a hundred. It was the largest pastor's conference that attendance that they'd ever had. And um, we were just about to get started preaching. This is uh, one of the basements where they serve bread. They would serve uh, food every night uh, because... Uh, basically, a lot of them didn't eat unless they'd come to church to eat. And so we provided, uh, the church uh, graciously were, was able to provide food each night for them, uh, soup and, uh, and bread usually. Sometimes it was more than that, stuffed cabbage as well. They had a very, a very good uh, boiled cabbage that they had. Um, and then that one night they gave us gypsy food. We said, what is this? And they said, you just eat by faith, brother. Okay, all right. <laughs> And that's all they ever said. We don't know what it was. We just stayed by faith. So, next slide. There's Camden standing in front of the church there. And let's see, I believe that is, I think that might have been the one at Arquita. Yes, that's Arquita. That's the small village. That's the church. So, the village where people just have given up on the, uh, the Romanians have given up on the people. And that's one of the other churches. That's the new church in the town I told you about that... Um, that they just started the church there in that town where it's very, a lot of things going, corruption and drugs, and that's the location. Very nice building. The, the um, man is from Germany, the pastor is from Germany, retired, took some of his retirement and bought this building. So it's a little nicer building than the rest of them there. He bought it himself to start a church, and he's the new pastor, and uh, I think he's 72 years old, I believe. And so I got a chance to pray with him and visit. And that also is the village that he, that's the one that's pretty rough with drugs and prostitution and all of that. But that's the, his church looking back at that village. 
And then that's part of the pastor's conference as well uh, on that Saturday. And that's another, that's one of the other churches. I'm not certain. I think that may be Lossley, uh, the gypsy village that we were at one night. And this last picture, this is the team uh, and their families. Uh, we were about to go back to the airport here and uh, had a dinner together. That's a lot of the, the leadership team, the music director, his wife, the two pastors, their wives, their family. So it was good to fellowship with the, leader, the leadership team, the ministry team of, of our home church there before we left. And that is CBU. That's downtown. That's the city hall. And uh, that's, that's, and that's very cold there, so it doesn't look it, but it is. So it's a beautiful, beautiful city and, and a great trip for us. All right, that's it. So thank you for praying for us and supporting us. And I'm glad that we have partnerships like this that we can go to them and make an impact, not only just on the people we're going to, it really makes an impact upon you as well. And so thank you for praying for us and supporting us. And we'll continue the Romanian partnership mission. Let's pray together and we'll close. Father, thank you tonight for... First Peter and the study of it and how your word is alive and powerful and sharp and God how it just speaks to our spirits. God I just pray that we'll remember portions of it. You'll bring it to our minds. Things that we've studied over the last 18 weeks. Bring them to our hearts and minds and spirits. And Father thank you for, for the opportunity to study this book uh, with these people. God we thank you for the Romanian mission trip that we had and how we were able to encourage pastors and pray for them and God, encourage them in their work and let them know they're not alone, that there are, there are believers around the world uh, who love them and pray for them and, and who are being faithful as well. God, I pray for all those churches that we went to. I, I pray for Rami tonight to trust Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, and he'll trust you. I pray for those churches, Lord Jesus. They'll be filled with your presence and spirit, and every time they stand to preach the word, even with the secret police, God, they will... That they'll preach it boldly and powerfully and the word is sharp and alive and active. And that God, you'll use it to bring conviction and bring people to, to faith in Jesus. God, encourage them. Continue to bless them. Continue to provide and meet their needs for them as well. Thank you. We're able to partner with people like this who are doing such a good work around the world. Father, thank you for our members tonight, our people. Pray for our project as well here that you'd bless and empower that. All for your glory and all for your kingdom. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.